Hi, my name is Pete, and I want to welcome you today to the Emotionally Healthy Leader podcast. Uh, our title, which hopefully I'll stay with by the time this is published, is 10 Questions to Ask in the Crucible of Differentiation. 10 Questions to Ask in the Crucible of Differentiation. And actually, what I'm going to do is I've been on this theme of differentiation in a variety of angles the last four or five weeks. And on July 10th at 2 p.m., I'm going to hold a um, you know free webinar on Zoom and uh, say questions around the issue of leadership and differentiation and specifically what that looks like in different contexts. So you can sign up on our website for it. Uh, again, July 10th uh, at 2 p.m. It's a Tuesday uh, webinar. Love to have you there. I love getting questions. It's a tremendous source of uh, themes for podcasts. I'm actually collecting questions um, as people send them to you know to my Twitter or Facebook or to uh, at info at emotionallyhealthy.org. And I've got some great questions, and I will definitely have a couple of podcasts on just, you know, top questions, because there's no better way to learn than the case study method uh, in real life. So uh, th- this this theme of uh, the crucible differentiation really comes out of a turning point, I would say one of the turning points of my own leadership development. Uh, and I ran into it recently. It happened in 2006, 2007. And at that point, I've been pastoring Boy, almost 19, 20 years, and uh, I published a couple of books. I've been done some speaking, you know, and I, I, it was time to hire uh, another executive pastor. And I recognized there was some issues of organizational that we kept coming up against over and over again, and really in the implementation of emotionally healthy discipleship on a leadership level. And I really wanted to hire someone, I finally realized, to do a number of things I just didn't want to do. And I ended up realizing uh, through a variety of ways that the issue was me and I had to confront myself. And it got me into a round of therapy, uh, wise counselors. I had to wrestle with some deep inner, we'll call them demons, you know, uh, ha- harsh things in me that really needed to change. And it was a crucible. And uh, 2006, 2007, and the word crucible, if you don't know anything, what that is, it's a container. Uh, where metals and other substances are, are melted, and uh, out of that comes something new. So a melting pot, it may be iron or gold or silver, and uh, you know for metals. But it, it, we use it often for a severe test that we go through. You're in this fire of testing in your leadership. It's painful. Uh, everything in you wants to run, but it's awesome and liberating. It's a furnace of transformation. It's very disruptive. It's pain, and uh, and actually. It's out of that. That was such a turning point for me. I ended up writing 10 questions uh, in my journal. And I'd say for a two-year period, I would go back to these 10 questions uh, to keep me grounded uh, in my own differentiation journey. Uh, And, you know, I don't use them now because I think they're so in me. But for a two-year period, they were like life and death for me. And even the Emotionally Healthy Leader book, which many of you have read, uh, that came out of this whole journey of different of this furnace of differentiation. Um, and so I realize many of you are driving or moving or jogging, whatever you're doing right now as you're listening to this podcast. But I'm going to list these 10 questions on uh, my written blog that will come out with the release of the podcast. So you can get these 10 questions. Don't worry about stopping and writing them down at emotionallyhealthy.org. And uh, you can find my blog there and you can just, you know, look at the 10 questions yourself. Okay, so I'm going to go through them rather quickly, um, but just enough to, to, you know, to to whet your appetite. But for me, these were very helpful. And, um, you know, as I look back at them again, they're they're, they're actually 
great questions. And so here they are. Number one, I asked myself, you know, you know, what is success for me as the lead pastor? At that point, I was a lead pastor doing my fellowship. Uh, and, you know, what is God's unique shape for me? That was question one. What's success for me as a lead pastor? And what is God's unique shape for me? And the reason that was so important was because I, I had to, you know, kind of dig deep, you know, know yourself that you may know God is one of the foundational elements of emotionally healthy discipleship. And I had to just get a hold of what was success for me. What was my shape? And like you, I felt a lot of pressure from people that want to shape me a certain way to fit them versus I'm going to lead and be myself and the unique shape I am. And I'm going to bring that to those I'm leading. And so for me, I, I, I again, I reckon I went to a deeper level. It's not about money and budgets and you know number of church plants and controlling all that. For me, it was things like we're going to be a multiracial chap, ch- church on all levels. We're going to model that. We're going to live out the gospel in that. We're going to have a quality, healthy um, staff where everyone is growing. Everyone's in the right spot, uh, maturing. We're having honest, respectful conversations. Uh, but we're going to, the quality of what we're doing is going to be very high on an elder and staff level. You know, I'm going to disciple a few people really well year after year. And uh, rather than go after bigger, better, faster, uh, uh, we are going to do quality and live that out. And, and uh, you know, when I say something, my yes is going to be yes and my no is going to be no. It's, it comes from Matthew 5, 37. Uh, I'm not going to do five jobs. I'm going to do one. I'll be the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship and, and be focused. And so the issue really was integrity and I, taking my unique shape. Uh, that was number one. And uh, actually, it's so interesting. So even now, you know, I, I'm, I'm walking that out and seeking to grow in that to, to uh, even now. And so, you know, I'm part of uh, partly on staff as pastor at large at New Life Fellowship, and I do some teaching. But uh, most of my time is given to build emotionally healthy spirituality as a ministry out of our church, uh, which has now grown quite large. And I was feeling a lot of pressure to build this big organization. Um, and again, it was taking my own shape and who has God uniquely made me. And I realized over the last couple of months, like, hey, Pete, you know, we're going to build a, a bit and we'll build slowly out of relationships. But my best contribution is uh, creating high-quality content, writing, uh, and that's going to put a limit on the organization we build. And um, it was very liberating. And again, I think, what's success for you? I think of Esther in Scripture, uh, you know, what it meant for her to go up against the king, you know, and, and speak on behalf of the Jews. She rejected success of hers. I think of Mary, the mother of Jesus, what that meant for her to live out her unique shape at that moment of history. I think of John the Baptist, think of John, you know, think of Jeremiah, the list goes on. That was the first question. The second question was, feelings aside, what's the best in the long term uh, for the church? You know, feelings aside, what's best in the long term for the church? Now, I say that because my feelings, I'm a high feeler. uh, I would just do what felt good. um, And I would avoid things that did not feel good. Um, So focusing, for example, on job descriptions, focusing on the organizational charts, uh, weekly meetings of supervision and development, uh, putting a lot of thought into meetings, uh, especially staff meetings or executive team meetings or elder meetings. My, I just, I didn't feel good. Like preparing a sermon felt really good. Uh, teaching a class felt really good. And I see, I had realized that I wasn't being a good steward of my role. I was calling myself the lead pastor at New Life Fellowship, but I wasn't leading uh the way I, I was expected to lead as, as calling myself the leader. Uh, I was avoiding a lot of key organizational leadership 
because it was painful and it was hard. So I had to ask myself this question, feelings aside, what's best in the long term for New Life Fellowship? Again, in my role, at that point, my role was lead pastor. And uh, it led me down paths, which leads to my third question, uh, that I asked myself, what might I be avoiding? And am I staying with the uncomfortable in order to get to the goals that God, I believe God has for us at New Life? So again, a third question was, again, these are usually two-part questions, what might I be avoiding? Am I staying with the uncomfortable in order to get to the goals I believe God has for our church? And again, we're back to the issues of honesty, integrity, and stewardship. So what that led me to, of what I was avoiding, were a lot of difficult conversations. Uh, again, organizational conversations. I don't like conflict. I don't like people not liking me. You'll hear more about that later. Uh, I don't like asking hard. I didn't like asking hard questions. Now it's not. I don't even think about it. Uh, but for example, anything from asking a leader in our church, help me understand why you get so many speeding tickets. Or you mentioned that you were overwhelmed and discouraged. You know, tell me more. Uh, or you said to me, your your assistant in the um, in your ministry is driving you crazy. Uh, and I know they're a volunteer, but why haven't you had a conversation about that? Uh, tell me, help me understand why you, you, you seem pretty clear on what's the problem, but you haven't addressed it. Why? And again, I didn't want to ask difficult, I have these uncomfortable conversations because I, I didn't, I didn't know where they would lead. I, I would find out things I feared about people that I had to remove them from leadership. Uh, and it would get even more, I don't like mess. I didn't want more of a mess or, you know, as I remember one conversation, and this person was at the time involved in our uh, youth middle school ministry, and she was complaining that uh, nobody wants to work with youth. None of the adults will volunteer. And uh, to actually go to her and say, listen, uh, you have not built a team of adult leaders for this ministry. We do have adults volunteering in lots of other places. Uh, You know, it is your role. Uh, you have been set apart by the church to be the youth pastor, not just to do the ministry, but to build adults who are also then broadening and you know deepening that ministry. But uh, what's really going on that you haven't built it? That's an uncomfortable conversation. Um, and they're asking people about their marriages uh, or their singleness and how they're how they juggling uh, relationships with the opposite sex and their sexuality. And again, it, it, these these un, the uncomfortable was these difficult conversations. But I realized I was going to lead out of truth and integrity and build our church that was going to uh, reflect the kingdom of God. We had to live in the truth, not pretend. Uh, and you can't build the kingdom of God and pretend. And so uh, I, I, am I staying with the uncomfortable is really important to me because this was very uncomfortable. Well, the fourth question, again, related but slightly different, which was how much of my avoidance of difficult issues is driven by a need to be liked? or driven by a need for me to receive validation from other people. Um, you know, I would teach uh, a cl- another, I would teach a lot of classes besides sermons because I got a lot of validation when I teach. Um, I would do longer devotions at our staff meeting because uh, I was good at that, you know, and people thought oh, that was a great devotional. Didn't mean I was leading our staff well. Uh, and same with the elder meetings. Um and uh, job evaluations, I, I would avoid difficult issues because I didn't want, I, I would actually lie in job evaluations because I would not be honest about their performance because I didn't want them to be upset with me. So I'd kind of sugarcoat it and say it's fantastic or give them a B when they really deserved a D. Um, so the question of how much of my avoidance of difficult issues is driven by a need to be liked was a really important question to ask myself. And because I came to grips with in this crucible, this fire of differentiation season of my life. 
that I had uh, a deeper need for validation from people than I realized. And uh, you may have heard me mention the term a genogram. Uh, it's one of the uh, skills or, that we integrate into our discipleship and leadership development. And, uh, people do a genogram of their families going back three to four generations. And there's layers of doing a genogram. And we introduce it in our discipleship course in churches. Uh, but for leaders, it's another level. And again, I'd been doing valid. I'd been doing uh, genograms at this point for ten years, uh, and I actually had a doctor of ministry uh, in marriage and family where I'd done a one-year genogram project interviewing every living member of my family. Even though I'd done that, there was another layer here. And just so you know, I can tell you now. Uh, this is the year 2018. I've discovered a few more layers since then. It's, an, it's, 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 a, it's a paradigm. As you move through stages of life, there are new layers God brings to you so you can move forward and do what God's asked you to do. But here I was, boom, um, recognizing that I had, a, I had a deep need for validation from people uh, that caused me to avoid difficult uh, decisions and difficult conversations. Uh, I, was, I felt so exposed. Talk about a crucible. And uh, all I could think of was Jesus. I felt like Jesus on the cross, you know, and and here he was hanging by a cross, and uh, and he and he and he stays with the Father, right? He he waits on the Father, and he cries out, "Why, my God, why have you forsaken me?" And that's how I felt this season uh, of this crucible of differentiation, which I would say probably lasted a you know year to two years. It was so intense, and I think God gives us those seasons. I really do. I think that in our we don't live in a crucible. But there are seasons where the homeostasis or stability of our lives is seriously disrupted by God because he is bringing us to another level, uh, and it is painful. Uh, and I, that's why I like the word crucible. So my fifth question was this, uh, Pete, you know, Pete, am I, am I doing anything that soothes my anxiety but betrays my integrity? Am I doing anything that soothes my anxiety but betrays my integrity? And what that was for me uh, specifically was uh, I would spend, if you, this, this may sound heretical, uh, I would spend too much time in scripture, <laughs> too much time, you know, feasting on God at monastic retreats uh, because I was avoiding, you know, I was avoiding, I was, I was anxious about all the needs of our organization. Which, again, it was, was hard for me uh, to do job descriptions and, you know, writing a job description is a lot of work, you know, or, or, or looking at the organizational chart, chart and lines of authority and how power is distributed and spending time in prayer about, you know, that and, you know, thinking about people on staff that I was developing and not just their performance, but their lives. And I would get anxious uh, because I know, oh my gosh, this person is going to probably have to get let go at some point or they're not growing where they need to get growing. I need to confront them on this. Like they're not growing with the church and this is a problem or I think there is something going on here deep in their lives that uh, if I ask and go down this road, uh, I could discover some things very possibly that will cause them to have to be uh, out of their position. And then I have nobody to run the ministry and I get all this anxiety. So what I would do is uh, I would just do what I like to do and do what I'm really good at. And I would soothe my anxiety by, in a sense, medicating myself with uh, Bible study and prayer and uh, again, please, I love scripture. I love being with God. I'm not, I'm, but I was I was also lead pastor of the church. And, uh, you know, at that time, we probably had 15 staff, uh, maybe 20 staff. And and uh, just keeping, you know, careful notes on meetings with people and bringing it to God. I just, you know, again, I would avoid that. Uh, uh, but 
basically raising the level of my integrity meant not folding or giving up uh, because it was a hard conversation, but actually pressing in, you know, led by the Spirit of God, hopefully, but, um, you know, not avoiding it. The sixth question, uh, again, these are all related, was, am I making room for the space and time I need to provide overall leadership uh, to guard the values and vision in of our church? Uh, am I making room for the, uh, am I making space and time that I, that I need to provide overall leadership uh, to guard the values and visions uh, in our church. Now, you can apply this to your nonprofit if you're leading one or an organization, uh, not just a church or a ministry. What that meant is I, I needed time to work on myself, to invest the time for me to mature and grow. So that included things like you know, you know, therapy. I, I think of, you know, I traveled an hour to meet with this person. I, you know, she was very good. Uh, I had to take a lot of time to think and reflect uh, and pray through things like job descriptions, praying through a budget, uh, listening to God. Uh, I actually began at that point signing the paychecks of people uh, because I was getting a hold of, I'm a steward, a temporary steward of the resources of this church. I think it applies to, I think it applies to a business or a nonprofit as well. You're a steward temporarily. Others will follow you. And the money that you're stewarding is not your own. It belongs to God. The people's time, their energy, and their money uh, has to be stewarded. And as if you're the leader of a ministry or an organization or a church, you're stewarding that money, uh, hopefully underneath the board. And um, so I had to start saying no to a lot of meetings. And uh, actually, I stopped traveling completely. I, I canceled a couple of book contracts that I had. I just canceled one. I think I canceled one. Anyway, I canceled it. I did no writing. I didn't write for like five years. Um, I just did small little writing projects, but I didn't do anything major because I had to focus my time and energy on the leader, on what I was called to do and given to do with that season of my life. And there's, and you know what that passage when they touch the hem of Jesus' garment, the woman with the issue of blood, and life goes out from him. Uh, only there's only so much life of God in you in a sense almost almost so much life in you and every time you give someone touches you or you're giving it out life goes out and there's only so much life and you're you're not God you're limited so am I and I had to I had to really come to grips with the limits of my uh energy my time and basically say God what have you given me to do here and stay in the crucible of leading uh, well, and making sure I had the time and space to do it. The seventh question was, am I staying focused on the small items and steps that will get me to the goals I believe God has given uh, me uh, and us at New Life Fellowship Church? Or am I being distracted by other things? I'll say it again. Am I staying focused on the small items and the small steps that will get me to the goals that I believe God's given us and given me at New Life? And Or am I being distracted? Leadership is not fancy. I mean, leadership is just, it's just suffering. It's just, uh, you know, uh, it's not glamorous. Uh, it is servanthood. And it's it's doggedness. Uh, there's a tremendous cost to it. And so it's one thing to set goals. And I was really good at setting goals and vision. I was not good at the hard work of, okay, now what's the steps to get to that goal? I mean, to really sit down and say, okay, this is the goal, uh, and I'll give you a couple of examples in just a moment, uh, what are all the steps to get there? And um, so let's take, for example, you want to make, I wanted to make a hire 
you know, a, a, a person who is developed to function in a certain position isn't just going to drop out of the sky. And um, it requires prayer. It requires the hard work of writing a job description, getting input in that job description, a whole interview process, their histories, getting multiple perspectives, maybe an outside consultant, depending on the size of your church and ministry. Then, then you then you bring them on, and then you got to help my goal is develop them into the role. Well, that takes what are the steps uh, to do that? Uh, really breaking it down. That was an, a discipline. I I up to this point. I'm sad to say I did not do. I didn't I, I spoke the goal, but I didn't work out what it would take to actually get to that goal, even if it was under my responsibility. Uh, it's like I'll write an article for a magazine. Oh yeah, great, great. But you know what? So I can do it in a couple of hours. Yeah, that's like that. That's just a sl- I would it was, I would do it. And it was sloppy because the truth is, it would take thinking time. It would take. Uh, you know, making a bit of an outline. It would take multiple drafts. And so really two hours ends up being about eight or 10. And again, once you start working out the steps, you realize, oh my gosh, I have limits. I don't have time. Do I have time for this? And, you know, I actually stopped writing forwards. uh, Not that I've written that many, but forwards and endorsements for books. Not that I don't want to endorse books and help people out in their careers and writing and launch them and write forwards. And it's just, I recognize I did to do it well, do it thoughtfully. It really takes time. And I did a couple of, you really got to read the book. If you're going to say something, I wanted to say it with integrity of how I felt about it. And conversations with the author and the publisher. And I just realized, oh my gosh, like, you know, is this a ministry God's calling me to do right now at this season of my life? And uh, I had to recognize, you know, what's the goals? What, what, what's God given me to do? What are the steps to get there? And that everything one touches ends up taking a lot more time and space than we realize. And again, it's so easy to get distracted. And I just out of nowhere would take a, a commitment to go speak somewhere, and you could be in a you know in, in the city of New York alone. But again, you travel in there. It's a one hour speaking, but really, it's time you get to Manhattan, the time you get back, time you meet with the people, time you send it. It's a day. It's a whole day. And in the middle, I just would take it because it would be it would, it would be seductive. It would be easy to do. And I again, I got off my steps. Here's a goal, and here's the steps to get to the goal. Because once I start looking at that, uh, it gets complicated. And actually, these these two questions, seven and eight, and I'll give you eight right now, were, were the two probably most critical questions to me of the ten because I was so bad at them. And the eighth question is this: What are the what are the next concrete steps in light of my goals? How long will each of these steps take? And have I looked? Have I taken out my calendar and looked at what I need to say no to so this can happen? All right, I'm going to say that again because it's so. this was so big for me. And I know it's one question in three or four parts. You know, what are the next concrete steps in light of my goals? How long will each of these steps take? And then have I taken out my calendar and looked at what I will need to say no to so this can actually happen? This was, I'll put a star next to this step number eight. This was the most difficult for me. And I would say if I didn't get this one down, um, I think my leadership would have been very limited and let me just say this crucible of leadership in 2006, 2007, around these 10 questions, I mean, to this day has changed my life. I feel like I I, I got it. Like I, you know, I, I think I, I really got in terms of like I grew up, I, uh, I crossed something where I got really comfortable in my own skin as a leader. And again, that Emotionally Healthy Leader book came out of that. And I really felt like my last... Um, seven years of leading at New Life, I did a really good job. Um, in terms of, my, I, 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 I finally learned it. It takes a while, doesn't it? I was 26 years a lead pastor at New Life Fellowship. I feel like the last seven 
um, I really, in a sense, had my stride. And uh, that's why I think succession went well. And even now, with Emotionally Healthy Discipleship as a ministry, I, I, you know, I feel really good about my leadership. And uh, But this, these 10 questions were life and death for me. So again, uh, I the calendar. Oh, I hate pulling out that calendar because I'm a visionary. But that calendar confronts me with limits. And especially when I put Jerry, my wife, Jerry, and our daughters in there. Now, again, they're not my calendar calendar, but they're so central to my life. And this is the most difficult challenge for me, uh, limits. And I'm sure for many of you as well, if you're a lead, uh, a leader um, and a visionary. So at this point in my journal, uh, I mean, I, I would spend hours on these things and had to look at and apply it. I had to redo my life, my schedule, my priorities, but so much fruit came out of that. And again, when am I going to get to mentors and spiritual directors and et cetera, et cetera, preparing for this board meeting. And boy, did it force priorities. All right, number nine. Uh, what does it mean for me? Uh, I'm sorry, what does it mean for New Life Fellowship to operate out of a higher level of integrity in this next season? Uh, what does it mean for New Life Fellowship to operate out of a higher level of integrity in this next season? Now, I'm, I'm, I'm defining integrity uh, as a higher level of differentiation and honesty uh, truthfulness. So for years, we did not address elephants in the room unless they were gigantic elephants. The little elephants could just, you know, they could sit in the back or they could have a little seat at the table, a baby seat. But, you know, a high level of integrity is when the gap between your outer, what you're sharing externally to those around you, uh, is, is a very small gap in your, in what you're living internally, your outer and inner life of your ministry uh, is small. Uh, it's not a wide gap between the two. So, for example, you say you're about developing your, your staff or developing people. Well, you're actually doing it. Um, people are in the right job description and, and in the right job. Things are clear, high level of integrity. Um, again, you're addressing elephants in the room. I, I wanted to be a church where the deeper you got inside the church, uh, the better it got. Uh, we weren't going to do image management. You know, social media is all about image management, right? Or my great life on Instagram or Facebook. and But no, I, I wanted actually that uh, when many people would say, I, don't, I want to go to church, I want to enjoy Sundays, but I don't want to know what's going on internally because I, I, I don't want to know the mess. I just want to enjoy what's going on. That I, I, I want to enjoy the, quote, fruit of the ministry. That to me is a tragic statement to be made. And so uh, a higher level of integrity uh, was really a value for me, and I wanted to keep raising it, uh, that we walked with integrity in our singleness, our marriage, our walk with God. Uh, if we're leading for Jesus, we're actually spending time with Jesus. Um, we're honest, but with respect, uh, etc. And um, we bring people on staff. There's an on-ramp process. We move people off. There's an off process. But, and the transition is done healthy in a healthy way and honestly. Uh, so that was a Ninth question, but I'll give you my tenth and final one, which is kind of an overall question, which was simply this. Am I creating a life in God that is truly a gift to others, or am I cre or am I creating a life that's just trying to externally prove my worth and value? Uh, am I creating a life in God that's truly a gift to others? To me, you know, I mean, I look at Scripture. Jesus gave his life uh, as a gift for the world. We, too, are called to give our lives as a gift to the world. And staying grounded in Jesus— not in Western culture, not in being great and powerful and successful or making people think we're great. It's actually like, is my life a gift to others? And am I 
am I free from trying to find my worth and value in other people and their opinions? And this is so unconscious. Uh, we sometimes can make decisions. We're unaware of how concerned we are about other people and how it'll look for me. What people think about me? It sounds impressive. And this, what I'm just saying right here has so many layers to it. Uh, but we want our lives as leaders to be a gift uh, to those who we influence and those we serve uh, and not simply be words that we mouth. So again, sometimes we think we're falling apart, because, but actually we're falling together. Uh, sometimes we think we're falling apart, but actually we're falling together. You know, God's putting us together. It's just that things got to fall apart for him to put us together again. And so these 10 questions were a great gift to me. They, they really served me. And I again, they'll be on the blog at emotionallyhealthy.org. Feel free to go look at that and, and download it. So on July 10th, uh, I'm go we're going to do a webinar. Uh, it's a, a Tuesday on, on the, the theme of growing and differentiation in our leadership. And uh, so I want to encourage you to send me questions in advance. I'm going to organize them. I've gotten a few already. Uh, and it'll be an opportunity for a QA. and a I'll give you a little quick summary, probably 15 minutes or so, and then we'll take 45 minutes of Q&A uh, around the questions. And so, and again, let me encourage you as leaders, everything we're talking about here is high-level discipleship. I, I see leadership uh, is a reflection or a natural outgrowth of who you are in the inside, of your own life in Christ. It's not primarily learning skills about how do I cast a vision, how do I build a team, how do I do strategic planning. Those are those are really helpful and they're important, but they're not primary. Um, the primary thing is your discipleship in Jesus because that comes out of everything you do. Who we are is way more important than what we do. And so uh, let me invite you again to get engaged with what we've put together in the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship course, uh, part one and two. Uh, get that kit, get, get, come to one of our live trainings. Every month I do a live training for three hours on how to actually do this uh, course. And uh, there is a, is a serious course with two parts that is a foundation for everything we're talking about in this podcast uh, week after week on leadership. Leadership flows out of great discipleship. Always remember that. Uh, you're not going to have great leaders without robust discipleship. So uh, look that up, and I look forward to talking to you again. Go to www.emotionally.org. Uh, get on our mailing list. I look forward to talking to you again. God bless everybody. You have a great day.